Twenty years have passed since a tragic fire at an illegal rave killed over a hundred people outside Austin, Texas. But is that all that happened on the night in question? Experience the horror of Vampire the Masquerade like never before. Jackalope LARP and White Wolf present a blockbuster LARP horror event. The Night in Question, November 17th, 2018, Austin, Texas. Jackalope-LARP.com for tickets and information. Where will you be on the Night in Question? This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I am Bob. And today we are going to be doing a review on the 2001 New York by Night. New York City! And uh, so the interesting thing about this book that uh, um, is going to be looming is that this book came out literally right after 9-11. And they actually make mention of it in this book here. Um, kind of like, hey, uh, vampires aren't to blame for this. It kind of did the same thing that Marvel Comics did, right? Marvel Comics was like, we we take place in New York. This terrible thing happened. Like, we can't just not acknowledge that it happened. But like, superheroes didn't have shit to do with this. Same thing here. Like, vampires didn't have shit to do with this. So that's that's one thing to bear in mind. It's very timely in its release. It's very weird too for me. Yeah, on a personal level, like it's, it's fiction. Mm-hmm. We're writing about fiction, but we right. got to put a note. It leads me to believe someone like had concerns. Yeah, you know what I mean. They well, were big enough. Like we didn't bomb the twin towers, but we know who did. Right. But it wasn't White Wolf. But we're gonna put this letter in here just in case someone tries to say something. And dude, you know, like if you remember that time, like I remember, and this I don't want to go too far off of the beaten path, but I remember specifically where I was on the day when that happened. And I remember all the stuff that came after it and like how things changed. And I don't know if you remember this, but like Blockbuster Video would put stickers on movies that were like, hey, this could be, you know, yep. insensitive and, you know, because of the events that occurred. So it, it was not out of the ordinary for that sort of thing to happen, right? Everything at that moment kind of like screeched to a halt and everybody had to like reassess like, okay, how do we approach handling New York now? I got to say it. Mm -hmm. I just, I, for me, even when it happened, right. right, I was like, this is a tragedy. That sucks. Something's going to come from this. Some serious shit. But then my brain went, I'm here. Right. I I think it did what everybody else did. Right. But then, but then like seeing that stuff brought up, it was Mm -hmm. like, well, I got to say this. Everyone's talking about, you know, that, you know, we need to do something about this. This can't be just, you know, done and done. What can we do? Where can we, how can, how can we help and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And everyone did, and volunteering happened, everything else. Right. But it actually pissed me off to see my media, which is supposed to be an escape, suddenly have to stop and halt and defend itself. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was a thing that was, it was unlike anything that had happened to Americans ever, really. In, right. In, in modern times, when the media could be present. The only thing that I remember that was like, 
at least in the moment that was similar to that was like the challenger explosion i don't know if you remember that oh i do but, but yeah i mean that that was another thing where it was like everybody was watching and just something crazy happened um but yeah i mean it, it's a, to me this is when the world really started to change for for our generation in a noticeable way right like everything before it was was kind of just like hey whatever we're all happy and then that happened and it was like everybody kind of changed and i, I don't want to dig that. too deep into that because i'm not going to give them that right that's that's a that's a whole additional podcast that has nothing to do with this book but it did you know they make note like hey this we're in the middle of writing this and like this happened so so great sensitivities uh but you, you know basically the letter is written in the beginning so you know right. to halt it right whatever misgivings you may be having this is still an entertainment piece so that's that. That's right. the CYA of the book. Right. Absolutely. And before we get into the book, I just want to read an email that we got from a fan. His name is Peter, and he uh, emailed us from Texas. And he says, I just finished catching up on 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade, I and Texas. I was sad. I'm sorry, what? I said I love Texas, but keep going. <laughs> I do. I was sad that there was no more to listen to. Well, we, tr- we try. We do many podcasts a week. Uh, just halt yourself. Slow down. Slow down, okay? So it looks like I'm going to start at the beginning with nerd words. I like your unapologetic and matter-of-fact way of approaching game topics and your level of knowledge of the world of darkness or at least vampire. It's truly impressive, and I love your level of dedication to the brand while not resorting to cronyism. If a book sucks, it sucks. You're not afraid to say so. You've mentioned before that you're planning on giving the other games the same treatment once you're all caught up. Uh, on Vampire the Masquerade, something that will keep you running for years to come. Well, at least for this year. Like, honestly, like Vampire the Masquerade, with the exception of the V20 books, like, we're getting very near to, like, the culmination of this line. But, yeah, I mean, at least at least for the rest of the year. And he goes on to ask, so what's next? And this is a question we get all the time. Uh, will you dive into Dark Ages or try to give Werewolf or Mage a chance to shine? I'm a mage fan at heart, um, having a complete collection uh, that I've carried around with me through multiple city, multiple moves from city to city. What's your level of experience with that game? Um, keep up the good work, guys. You're truly an asset to the currently rebuilding World of Darkness community. Um, and I refer new players to you all the time. I'll keep doing so. Uh, so thank you. Thank you very much. So what's what's next for us? What's next for Vampire the Masquerade, for 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade? Um, where I see it, and I'll let you jump in here momentarily and you know kind of bounce it off of me, but where I see it is um, eventually within the next couple of months, probably like I would say less than six months, we're going to get to the end of Vampire the Masquerade. And then I would assume we'll probably end up changing the podcast's name. <laughs> right because right. i mean at that point we're going to be 25 years of white wolf so today for now we're not going to make any drastic changes but we're actually going to be having geographic changes i'm moving to a different state so we're going to be doing this podcast a little bit differently we're going to be in different time zones um so we're we're going to first spend the next you know short amount of time figuring that whole process out getting that all ironed out and then my goal my hope is that down the road, we can do like two podcasts a week, right? We could do like a Dark Ages and we could do a Werewolf. Um, but did you have any like preferences, Bob, about like what we should tackle next? You kind of cheated because you did both. I mean, that's that's the cheat. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not against that at all. Right. I think that uh, doing uh, Dark Ages is a must, especially as a supplement to follow up 
yeah on 25 years i think there's a lot of story not told uh that be and actually there's a lot of modern it gets to make sense by doing darker so i feel that's a must right uh werewolf we absolutely have to tackle werewolf the apocalypse i mean the two biggest fandom base comes from werewolf or vampire and werewolf a lot of times they interchange right right and uh, i'm across the board right? right there's not really a white wolf supplement i detest that includes changeling um i'd say changelings we won't get into that, but the point yeah, is, to, to, I mean, to what you're saying, yeah. I agree with that setup for, for two podcasts a week. So it, at some point, we want to be able to have enough time to do two podcasts a week. The problem with that is we have to like, we have to live, right? right. We, have, we have to like pay our bills and stuff. And along with that is uh, just time constraints, right? Trying to work a 40 hour work week and do the podcast is very difficult, right? We have enough time, like the book that we were reading today, New York by Night, we have a little bit of an advantage because we've either played games out of the book or ran the game with that book already. So we can start reading this book on a Monday and then by the time Thursday night comes around, we can be done, finish up a little bit Friday morning before we do the podcast, right? But how many pages is this book, Bob? This book is oh. Just as an example, this is like a pretty standard release for White Wolf as far as size is concerned. I'm going to guess 130 pages. You're going to guess 130? I'm going to guess 130. I, I can't else? say Anybody for else certain. get that number in your head, what you think it is, it is 132. 132 pages. So we'll say like the average White Wolf release is between 130 and 140 pages. That means that we have to be reading 130 to 140 pages a week, right? And that, that's beyond our storytelling commitments. That's beyond our recreational reading. That's just we have to sit down and read that many pages a week, which, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, but... Bottom line, that's the job. Right. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's what that all culminates to. It's not... Honestly, it's no harder than reading. It's something we love and we're passionate about, so it doesn't take that long. What it is is that when we do it, we want to make sure we get it accurate as right. we can. Right. So we could speed read and, and then blah, talk about it. Does nobody any good. So that's what it is. We want to dive in it, make sure stuff adds up. We do still research uh, material, especially when you're dealing with material that's dated. Right. You know, this isn't current uh, from, from even the line they're on. So right. a lot of times it gets jumbled. You know, they change writers, they change perspectives or directions, and you got to keep up. Right. And that's that's what that comes down to. But to say flat out, or to, to bring it back mm -hmm. full circle, Dark Ages Werewolf. Right. I think that's, that's our goal. So um, as far as like Mage is concerned, I have a small amount of experience with it. Um, I would consider myself a novice mage player. Um, I've played in one uh, mid to long term mage game, um, and I knew my character pretty well. But you know, aside from that, I, you know, I'm not super familiar with all of the the details. I do uh, know when we hit mage, you'll know because my nose will be bleeding on the mic. <laughs> right. Um, with all the there are so many people who, when they play a major mage experts. And that's it's a beautiful thing. Right. Right. But they have been minor by comparison to the fans of the other stuff. Right. And Mage, ironically, is the most complex of the systems they rolled out. Yeah. Because it leaves a lot up to wit. It leaves a lot up to what you can do on the fly. And that creativity has to be a constant. Right. So many people are crunch monkeys. They got to have this does that exact. To and me, to me, it's like the ultimate expression of like individual creativity, right? You, you absolutely have to be creative in order to enjoy that game. And I don't know if you're like me in this, Nate, but I mm -hmm. often feel that me and Mage, I secretly don't want to know everything, but I'm going to have to when we review it right. because that's where I, I have fun being a player the most. 
because the storyteller tries to challenge me right. and the skills that I have is to be creative right back. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so it becomes like, it's like, it's like a dream, like, you know, right. creativity versus creativity. And what, what is the story from it? Well, I, I think that a lot of what happens is the way that something is written is fantastic, right? I, there's the stuff that I've read for changeling, both in the classic world of darkness and you know, the new world of darkness the stuff that I've read is really super creative. The thing that typically turns me off to a game, and I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening that have the same feelings, but the things that turn me off are, are honestly, in a lot of ways, the people that play the games. And just the way that they treat the source material and the way that they come at you as a player. And I think, for me, the biggest hurdle that I've had to climb doing this podcast is learning to deal with those personality types and also like learning and trying to figure out creative ways to make people understand that we're all playing the same game and we're all enjoying the same hobby. And this isn't a situation where we should talk about like this game is better than this or, or, or this, this supernatural creature is more powerful than this one. They're all good. It's, it's a game that we all enjoy, right? Whether you're a mage player or you're a vampire player or you're a werewolf player, we're all drawn to the same material, right? We're all drawn to that world of darkness. The we're storytelling all, system. Right, right, exactly. And and I think that that's, that's the thing that I really want to emphasize the most is that this isn't a pissing contest, right? And so Bob and I, when we review these books or we talk about these games, we don't pull punches because we're not, we're, we're, we're here reviewing material that we love and so we're here to expose what's the good stuff, but we're also here to talk about what's the bad stuff, right? Because we're also consumers, right? Right. We get, like, even if even if White Wolf stepped up, it was like, you're ours now, and we work for them. Guess what, White Wolf? We're still going to go, this material is great. We're still brand ambassadors right. of you guys, but we're going to try to explain what difficulty people would have with it, right? Right. So we may have to change our jargon. Obviously, we can't bash the brand, but we're not bashing a brand in the review anyway. Right. When we come across and say something isn't good or isn't written well, we take in consideration the time it was written in, the events right. that were going on then, just like we open up this podcast with. Yeah. But most importantly, um, if we're going to try to implement this in the game, if we who are who are pretty fucking good, when we when we, I mean, I don't even care if that sounds egotistical. Twenty five years, my life in it, right. I'm damn good at this. You know, I know you are too. So right. when we go through, if we read and we go, huh? How does this work? I, I don't get it. If if that is coming out of our mouth, we're literally right. like. I could only imagine how many ways this was taken. Right. And, you know, how, how does that do? So we're not going to steer you wrong. Right. When and, it comes and, to that. But, but to that point, I think it's very important to reemphasize at every opportunity. These are just our opinions, right? These are just two guys and our experiences and how our brains have interpreted the situation. You know, our, you our may very think awesome brain, right? You may think we're completely full of shit and I'm willing to listen to you say that. However, I, I'm not required to agree with you because you're not a muffin at that point. No, no. And that's okay. Not everybody has to be a muffin, but eventually they like, do like the Borg. You won't have a choice right? as food shortages become more of the norm. You're going to need mm -hmm. consistent muffins, right? Crisis not, precipitates change. Not an amazing muffin, not a shitty muffin, <laughs> just Consistently an adequate, consistently adequate. That's just, right. Just an adequate one. So anyways, let's, uh, let's get, First of all, thank you, Peter, for your email. That was awesome. And your support, Peter. I think that's great. I know yeah. we uh, sometimes went off the road, but no. you brought the ticket. Look, yeah. I mean, it, it, when you do this, you have to strike a delicate balance. A part of you is going to say, I'm going to say what the fuck I want to say, and I don't give a shit what people think. But then there's another part of you that goes, well, I do have to be somewhat sensitive because I don't want to like marginalize anybody. Right. I don't, I don't want to be insensitive and shitty. 
but also like I want to speak what's on my mind, right? And so, you know, fuck it. Let's review some goddamn podcasts. <laughs> Let's review some goddamn books and do some podcasts. <laughs> Let's get to work. Right. So New York by night. Um, what can I say? What can you say, Bob? What can anyone say about this book? So New York City is a city that never sleeps. And there's a there's a poem that gets opened up that I'm not gonna read, but kinda I visited New York. I've been there. And when I went to New York I have, I have not. I can I can tell you going to New York is a shock to the system. Out of any I've been to several cities in the US. New York is the only one that made made me feel alienated. Right. Like there were so many different cultures and tourists that were there in New York. I had no idea what a New Yorker was. Right? And it's weird because you think to yourself, well, if I'm from New York, I'm a New Yorker. Right. Yes, you are, but I could not find you. Because when I got there, one of the first, you hit all the tourist spots, right? Um, one of the places we went to was Times Square. That was like dead on the list, right? Right. And I remember going to the M&M candy store that's right there in Times Square. And walking around there, it was like a beehive. I felt trapped in the buildings. They were just everywhere. It felt like the buildings didn't hold people. Right. It felt like they were there to direct you where to go next. <laughs> and there was just these colored bright signs everywhere, people telling you where to go. I could get pizza on every, any five foot of the street. It was everywhere. Pizza here and there and all that. And then Subway was just enforced when I was there. Like They were just out of control. But in this beehive, I started getting the groove. You know, everybody had their their iPhones on with their eye headsets in, and they were just devoted to going somewhere. You didn't know where they were going, but they knew you were in the fucking way. Right. And that's, you know, just power walking lines like ants, you know, just determine. Then the rail system. If you don't know how to use the subway, you're screwed in New York. So, but we wanted to check them out. So we rode on a couple. And again, it's you better know what you're doing, where you're going, because people there will tell you, you know. I remember being on the rail system. We were trying to get to... Uh, like trying to get the Soho for whatever reason. There was some restaurant we found on Yelp and we just wanted to check it out. And going through the system, we got off in the wrong spot. Well, the person I was, she was too afraid to ask anybody. And me, I'm the opposite. Right. So who did I ask though? I asked the rail cop, you know? And the rail cop was like, oh, hey, big guy, what you need? You know what I mean? He was just <laughs> like, what? Like, not like, oh, sir, can I help? He was like, what? Right. right. You know? And I was like, we're trying to get to Soho through. Yeah, buddy, Soho? Yeah, you missed that two stops ago. What you need to do is go up, go over, go down, go back over. I'll wave to you. You wait there. <laughs> Train comes, get you, and you get the fuck out of here. Okay? Move on. Jesus. Okay. Right. Well, well, what I'm hearing is it sounds like it moves at a very different tempo. It is. Everyone has got to be somewhere right then. Right. Without that. But then when you get to places to relax, right? You sit and chill in a restaurant, that's what you do. But even then, there's there's always a line. There's going to be a line. Put it out your head. You don't think you are not going to be the first person in an empty place. Right. Right. So when you get there, you're like, cool, I'm going to wait a little bit. But that bit is not a bit here. Like, you wait in line here to go somewhere in Chicago. It's because someone's screwing up in the kitchen or whatever. Someone was later, didn't show. Mm -hmm. And that's and it's a thing, right? You just know you're going to spend a lot more time than they quote you. In New York, if they tell you, yeah, the waiting time is going to be 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's 20 fucking minutes. It's 20 minutes or less. They're going to get you in, get you set. You're going to get going. I noticed too, um, I don't know, uh, as far as the, like, the lines are concerned, and I think that this, uh, and I, I apologize in advance yeah. if people think this is a stray from the podcast, but I think it's not because it, it might emphasize people in Chicago, they don't understand lines. They don't know, like they don't get why they exist. And, and it's almost as if there's a blatant refusal to stand in them. Right. Have you noticed that? Yeah, absolutely. I work in a job where lines are very important and lines make complete sense to me, right? There's a person in front of you. 
you stand behind them and you wait your turn. Here, it just seems like people just sort of clutter to the front, right? If you go to a restaurant, if you go to a hot dog stand, you will see this phenomenon constantly. People will walk in and they'll see a line forming and they'll just go wherever the fuck they want, right? right? Whereas, uh, how was it in New York? Was was it different than that? Was it the same as that? It was different because something I saw in New York a lot, you would have uh, plainclothes cops. Mm -hmm. They were everywhere. Or they were just off duty, but those guys were still doing their job. So if you were causing a problem, you like quietly got pulled aside and they would have a chat at you and you get to the back of the line or whatever it is they said to do. So in seeing that, and I also think the fact that there was just the sheer mass of people. Like we talk about Chicago being busy. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Right, of course, right. New York's the international hub of the known world. Busy. It's the city that never sleeps. Right. That's the big thing. Like we're talking about the feel of New York. Right. I remember being in the hotel, leaving at 2.30 in the morning, going out for a walk, and it was like I was still 6 o'clock at night out. Right. Just the same amount of people. Nobody went anywhere. What I will tell you, and it's not the segue. Beautiful thing about New York is how many famous people you're going to walk by and not notice. I walked by P. Diddy's clothing store, right? <laughs> right? Because there's this weird red carpet that was on like maybe 40 feet of whatever on the right. side street. It was all dirty and weird. And then it had these two silver stands there with a red rope. I thought it was the dumbest thing I ever saw. Like, this, here's this whole Times Square beautiful. Right. Here's this bullshit. What's that about? And then she's like, oh, that's, that's Puff Daddy's store. It's like, ooh, who gives a shit? Sure shit. I come around like two thirty or whatever. There's there there's a Lamborghini parked there. <laughs> right. The fuck is that about? Right. You know. But the point is, you get to it's culturally different. You know. Right. The other thing is, is that there was a lot of uh, a lot of go getters. There are people who are doing a job. Everyone had two three jobs. I guarantee you. Right. Right. They were always doing something. You really. have to to live there. Right. <laughs> two thousand dollars average rent. It's ridiculous. And 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 I think all of this, the point of this, and why what does this even involve with the book? New York is a is a city that is drastically different than any other city source book that has been presented so far. Right. I would say it's almost like the perfect vampire city, right? It tells you in the book. And why I went through all that is so you right. get an ambiance in your head. It's super busy. There's never a moment that you're not going to get noticed as a vampire. Right. So the masquerade is at an all-time right. on the ball. How can you possibly keep track of what vampires in your city and not? Right. With that being everywhere. And that's kind of the feel of the book. Right. And it's one of those things where they tell you at the beginning of this book that this, the population here could easily support 200 vampires without a problem. New York City is massive, but it is also a city that you could not possibly encapsulate in 130 pages. You cannot tell every, every detail about this book. And to me, and I'm just going to say this and you can oppose me if you like, but to me, this is, I think, the culmination of White Wolf being on their game when making a city book. To me, there is just enough material in this book to get your creative juices flowing, but enough empty space for you to build your own world. To me, this is them sort of, you know, over the course of 15 years or however, working on these books, figuring out what works, figuring out what doesn't, and sort of giving you a little bit of everything so that you, the storyteller, can tell a story. And I want to mention one other thing real quick, and this is a little bit of a slight deviation, but I have people that uh, I work with that are into like Dungeons and Dragons, and and uh, um, you know I take these books to work with me when I have the opportunity so I can read up like on my lunch breaks. 
And one of the people that I work with was like, oh, is that one of those vampire books that you do reviews on? I say, yeah. And he's like, well, is that like a module? And I was like, you know, it's kind of hard to explain what this is within the context of like your understanding of gaming, right? A city book is so so much different, but it, it kind of is. It's like a module with no with no do this next, right? Which is a which is a module. Right. Like the, the quintessential thing about a module is that it's gonna force you into the story they wrote. Right. And then so you gotta pick what to do here, what to do there, this happens if that happens. They take away your creativity to tell you how it's gonna be played. Right. That's why modules are detested by you and me both. Right. Right. But a book that's just telling you the content of where you're at right. and who dwells in it, it's not a module. So, so it's a, that's kind of like the example I was using for him. I was like, well, think of it like this. Think of it as if they, they made, a, made a module in like Waterdeep or some, you know. A source book. Right. Insert insert Forgotten Realm City here. But instead of like giving you quests and telling you like all the things that your 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 NPCs would do, they just told you all the shops. Right. And then they told you all the, the characters what, that existed in the shop. What's funny that you had this conversation. Uh-huh. That guy's not too big of a fan. Because in D D they do uh-huh. have source books. They do have Waterdeep, the source book, Ravenloft, right. the source book. They they have you have to have a source right. book so they have an idea of what the world you're in. It's just interesting you had to explain that. You know <laughs> and maybe I, mean? I didn't. Maybe he was humoring me. Maybe right. he was like, I know what the fuck a source book is, you dope. But like, you know, I, I was explaining to him like it's all that stuff, but it's like there's no quests. It's just like seeds for you to build your own right. stories. Right. And and I think that this book, it's not drastically different than Chicago. It's not drastically different than like Colorado, you know, or, or Denver uh, or, you Tells know. you the city. Right. The, the gives you the city, the city feel, the city themes. Right. That they intended. Gives you the layout. Here's the important aspects of the right. city. No city book covers every street. Right. Right. And then it gives you an idea of the vampires there or the denizens they're in. Right. That's it. Sorted. That's right. all you need. That's all you really need. And then, you know, you're good to go in the game and how you want to use it. Right. The twist with New York by night is that canon's big and what they got going on. It's right? very important. So they tell you the history of how the Camarilla lost the city to the Sabbat and then immediately how the Camarilla took it back. And then we're at the point where the Sabbat are still in town. The camp's trying to hang on, but then the Anarchs are putting pressure. And then there's even Sedites and the Giovanni. Right. It's like everybody decided who wants to lose New York. New York is such an important piece. Right. And, and that's, that's what it is. And I understand, too, why this book has come out when it's come out, right? Because what are the books that we just reviewed? We just reviewed The Gilded Cage and we reviewed Midnight Siege, right? Exactly. And so those were all the, the elements that the Camarilla and the Sabat used to fight their wars and how you gain and maintain and take influence. And then here's this book, which literally the history of it gives you a night by night account of what the Camarilla did to take the city, right? It's as if, and no shit, it's as if they were teaching us how to do it with these other two books and they were showing you what that looks like in the implementation of this book. To me, that's brilliant, right? That To me, this is proper planning of a release of your books. It's not just kind of like an arbitrary like, hey, we should we should do a... Uh, we, we should do an LA by night Anarch Free State book, but like there's no context to it, right? It's okay to do that if you have no context, but this to me shows that they're trying to teach players how to play the game and showing them why it looks the way it does. And I think that that's pretty smart. What I like about the, the book and its layout is that once you get past the story and what happened up to this point and you get the theme, they start then giving you smart maps that detail important places. Like they got the five boroughs here straight up. 
and show you the layout. So when they mention it and what the important points are, you more than can look what's going on. But they also add enough for you to go, if I want to dig deeper, I can. Right. You know, like they separate the five boroughs, right? You got the uh, Manhattan, Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island, right? Right there. With the biggest populace being that of Brooklyn, 2.3 million, at least at this time. What's great about that is anybody who's a fan of Gangs New York already knows the mortal aspects of this, right? How everybody coming in, everybody being separated to five points, you know, all that fun stuff. And then later on what this evolves to. So if any storyteller looking at that off the bat can go, wait a minute, there's five boroughs. There's, there's all aspects in New York, but the five boroughs are super important. And they got their own populace. And a lot of these populaces are their own city unto their own right. So if you want to run it like that, you right. don't have to make it to where it's all of New York City ran by just one prince. And for one, I challenge you to argue how the fuck can that possibly be? <laughs> right, right. You can't. Which is kind of essentially stated here. Right. Because they're going to be somewhere. Somewhere somebody's running their own court, just not yours. And, and it's that simple. So... With it being that sizable, that large, the, the, even as close as Jersey is to here, it's hard to have any one staging point. And that's kind of the difficulty in them warring over the turf. Right. But what's cool, when you look at the map, you look at the rail stations and how they're laid out, you cannot forget the people that are already here. Do not think that Bronx, New York, is it going to hold down up against some lich, some leech who's just going to come out of nowhere and start declaring him the king of the streets. I mean... When I tell you how busy this place is, also, don't forget where their gangs come from. You know, that has an element. Their crime, that has an element. There's everything covered in here up to the, from the vampire side. Right. They do point out to what the mortals do. But it's up to you to dig deeper to figure out in those specific boroughs what's going on, what's really hot. Right. Because if you're going to run a story out of a city this big, I'd almost recommend focusing on one area for your five players. Because they are a drop in the bucket to the size of what is going on. Right. You know? And that's that's that. But the other thing, too, when we talk about the kindred population and their struggles, this is a city that I feel like by design is populated by individuals who are not these deeply entrenched elders, right? This, as we've said, this is the sort of the dawn, you know, or, or the, you know, the post-dawn settling of the Camarilla in power, right? These are people that came here looking for opportunity. These are, these are, when I say people, I mean, these are kindred. These are Camarilla members that came here looking to get power, looking for a quick jump. These are perhaps some scoundrels, some scallywags, <laughs> some no good nicks. This gives you plenty of opportunity for a brand new, if you're a brand new storyteller, this to me gives you plenty of opportunity to take the very key foundation and build your players into positions of power, right? Everybody wants to get into a game where they go, man, what would it be like to be a primogen? What would it be like to be Prince? Here's a city where you can set those goals and you can take your players through that journey because it's not establishment rule. The Camarilla has its eyes firmly on New York City. They have a stake in keeping it, obviously. But those that are in power are in power either because they were put into power or they've been able to recently take it. And so your players have the opportunity to go in and kind of like do that old school LARP thing, right? What's the old school LARP thing? Let's get rid of the prince. I want to be primogen. I want to be sheriff. For sure. Right? But uh, that other old school LARP thing, you're probably going to die. 
<laughs> right. Right. And that's no different know, here. You have no idea what's going on. You have no idea mm-hmm. what's going on. Right. Who's to what and, and who owes loyalty, who's lying to your face. Right. So you're almost best to kind of pony up to the table and get your share of the pie. Right. The one they're offering you and look to make your ends. Right. right? It, it, to me, it seems like it's one of the few places in the Camarilla where you can come in and have something that can lend assistance and get rewarded for it. Because in this chaos, you got to remember, the Camarilla directly opposed Cardinal Polonia, but they got their asses handed to him when Polonia came here first. You got to remember, Polonia's success was up the eastern seaboard. He didn't know defeat at all, and New York was no different. He crushed them. He came in and wiped them out. What he didn't do was provide the influence to shut them out. Right. That's what bit him in the ass in the end. So when the cam came to take it back, for instance, the Giovanni were making deals on both sides of the fence. They were sneaking in Sabat vampires and sneaking cam vampires out, you know, once the sieging starts. So that that's a crippling affair. You have Sedites making deals they shouldn't either for whatever ends they have. Nobody looks at them because right. the two sex are each other's throat. But that was Polonia comes in and Giovanni's like, hey, we still on? Same deal. You need guns. We ship them. It's like, yeah, all right. Right. We're still here. But for whatever reason, it was overlooked the fact that, wait a minute, the Giovanni are untouched and they're sitting right here in front of me. Right. Right. But that's kind of like the niche they fit. You don't war with the Giovanni because of the, the Giovanni because of the use they have. Right. Same thing with the Camarilla. When Archons came calling when they retook the city, the Giovanni were like, how's it going? The Sabat were just here, and we tell you the same thing we told those guys. We got our own deals, right? You liked getting smuggled out of the city, didn't you? Yeah, they like getting the guns they need to kick your ass. I hold no bones about that. But I ain't going to rat on either side. You right. do you. We're out of it. And they hold that position of neutrality in both sects for that reason. However, they're also the reason neither one of them really got the hold they could have. Right. Right? And why do you think that is? Well, you're the storyteller to decide. My opinion, bird's eye after reading this, uh, it's because they're profiting. <laughs> it does them no good to have any one prince sit still or any one cardinal declare, uh, archbishop declare territory. But if both sides are flipping and whittling each other down, more death cause, more money coming in, who's winning? Giovanni family. Right. So that's that. However, now you're at the point where, okay, everyone's come back, but there's some specific story, canon, plot things that are going on. None more terrifying than what's below the streets. Right. Right? That's where you get to really read what is going on in New York. And, you know, there's been books that we told you, you know, stories about Lombok Ruthen. Mm-hmm. Allegedly something sleeps in the sewers of New York. You get to read about it. You right. get to read what's up with that. And they leave it open-ended. You as the storyteller get to decide how you want to play that out right? with what's going on. But make no mistake, there is something down there. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. You, Uncle Smelly is an Osferatu out of New York. He's big, big-time paranoid about Nick Taku, as well as half-heartedly now keeping up with Shreknet because of what's down below. Kalebros is the prince, but it's because of the Nosferatu clan. He's the one shoved forward. Right, to represent he's like, them. He's like the least sociopathic and the most reliable, like through process of elimination. Because the Nosferatu have a mix of their anti-tribu and normal Nosferatu being hunted by the same thing. They all swear it's a Nictiku. Mm-hmm. Kilbros is now the mouthpiece for that. Right. So I mean, there's some out and out, straight up sect betrayals. Like we don't give a shit what our allegiance is. Our blood is being devoured. No one cares. Right. And and all these different story elements, I think, are really the key of of making this book good. Right. Pretty much every city book buried deep in, in some of the, the latter chapters, you're going to find craziness. You're going to find ridiculousness. To me, this is the first time the ridiculousness that we find is justified. It is a process. It is a part of the story, right? It's yep. a part of where they're taking this game 
towards Gehenna, right? And I think that that's important, right? It has, to me, as I've read it and as I've played in it, as I've, you know, tried to run it, to me, it just seems like it's it's the book that's got a little bit of everything. It's got every kind of hook that you could hope to find. Hey, Bob, you want to run a game that's kind of like mafia-centric. I do. What what where what city would be a good city? New York. You want to run a game that is it's Cthulhu. Where would be a good city to run it out of? Uh, ironically, New York. Hmm, interesting. Good international hub for travel. Lots of different cultures to yep. explore. You want to run a game that's Torador centric. It's a party town. It's glitz. It's glamour. It's famous people. Still New York. Shit. Um, you want to run a game of political intrigue with a supernatural background. You kidding me? It's still New York. Why is it still New York? <laughs> right, right. Because the main part of New York that's going on as the campsite is who's going to be Prince and who's going to establish it. A population so big and so much ground to cover that's cam territory, they have multiple harpies. Right. They got to have them. Right. And those guys are spread out. Population so big, the five boroughs each have its own chantry. Right. Five chantries, one main one. That's that's how that is. Get the the scope of what we're talking about. For anybody to sit up and reign here as prince, they're going to gain immense power right. if they can hold it down. But you got to convince enough people to come in that everyone knows. Here's the unspoken thing. Uh, the Sabat around the corner. And it's not like it's Joe PQ, PC generated Sabat guy. It's Cardinal Domingo de Polonia. His reputation is is unmatched when it comes to taking cities. <laughs> I don't know how many different ways they can describe a dude taking a sword from the sheath and heads falling off, it's, but they did. Yeah. They did it a number of different ways. I mean, The Fall of Atlanta is one of the most best written books for uh, the Cam- Camarillo line, the excuse, White Wolf line, in terms of what happens when the Sabat come calling. That's that's Polonia's doing. I mean, they, they, that's, that's what they're dealing with. Well, if I'm an elder who wants to come and become prince, I got to remember, I'm still battling a war. We may have just took it back, but we haven't cemented a hold. That's the thing to remember. And everybody's looking for it to cement a hold because you think Kelbros is going to be there afterward? No. He, in fact, he made it overtly stated, I'm only here for two years. Right. This, I am I am just here to make sure that shit doesn't boil over. Right. They want someone like Archon Bell to kind of settle down and become prince. They, I mean, this is offers that are being on the table, and that's that's an awesome idea. It means anyone can do it. Right. Anyone who can show the ruthlessness and power and and mentality to hold off the sabbat but rein in all the people right. who are coming to make it doable. Because you also got to have a proper scourge and sheriff who's kicking out the excess populace. Right. That's the other thing. You can't maintain. We don't want just because we can have two hundred vampires doesn't mean we want that right. many. Because that's too many people to fragment off in other sects. And, and, and bottom line, I think that it is, it, when you look through the different characters that are, are here, you'll, you'll notice a, a, a line running through the lot of them. You're not dealing with those ancient entrenched elders. And that's the key here, right? This, to me, is the perfect book for your game to start out of, right? You as a brand new storyteller, and you, you're, there essentially there's no right or wrong answer here and that's the beauty part of it right there is an established hierarchy but they're established like officially like the justicars were like bitches do this and they're doing it right to maintain it but this gives you absolute freedom as a storyteller and as a player to kind of figure it out for yourself right this is a great place to start so i think that my my bottom line view on this book we can continue to discuss, but my bottom line view on this book is if you're new to this game 
if you're looking to storytell, if you want to do this for the first time, this is the book you should definitely get. This is a book that you should you should start out of. That's that's my opinion. It's a fantastic book, and I'm I'm going to continue only to say this. So if you, mm-hmm. you hear the problems that you have game wise to do with this, I mean by problems are good story hooks. It's the whole story hook for New York City. One, who's gonna who's gonna be the new hierarchy? Right, Prince on down. That's right. one. But it's during madness, right? Because what's the opposition? Right, you got Anarchs and Sabat who are opposing where you're at. Status quo. I love that too. That in this book, they essentially they're like, yeah, there's Anarchs, but but they're Camarilla. Right, right. <laughs> they, so they they're not Sabat, which means they're Camarilla. And that's and that's the Camarilla kind of winging it in, so they know. Who to, in other words, we're not going to kill these guys. Right. But at the same time, the Anarchs aren't thinking that way. Right. They're like a verbal opposition as opposed to like a right. martial opposition. So there's that then you also have whatever the hell is happening beneath the sewers yeah you know monsters are real and they're down there what's going to happen with that and then to the backdrop of the masquerade we got to maintain this masquerade and how many breaches do you think happen in the night how many sheriffs you need how many primogen council we we don't even have that we have people who are looking out for their clan that we call primogen do they have the influence and clout to cover up these breaches right so on and so forth we have a Shamir clan that has so many rising stars and innovators, it's it's off the chain. You have Massacre St. John, the Camden innovator, the one who lays the ground foundation for later on the digital Draculas to make what's now in V20 a reality. And she's also the inventor of the Path of Technomancy. So that's huge. You have uh, Ailing Sturbridge, who creates many rituals that help cover up the masquerade even after the fact, because what we don't have an influence, we're going to have to have direct means to cover up as we find them. And we have to kind of break canon or break canon, break, uh, break the code a bit. You know, the camera almost demands it. They have to teach deputies and people of worth and note that are going to be monitored. Granted, they got to know thumb. They got to be able to use these rituals to help use these rituals, or we got to make sure it's Tremere deputies all day. Right. <laughs> and that's and that's the effect. And the clan's gotta decide a tough call one way or the other. Right. But that gives so much influence to the five boroughs, right? And the Chimere as a whole. So they need a lord to overwatch it all. And the lord, the imp as he's called, is a megalomaniac. The guy is <laughs> the guy's an ancient re he's he's really a problem. Right. He doesn't want to keep up with the times, but he's in New York. He doesn't have a choice. And everyone has to deal with him to and I do mean everyone to, to kind of keep him in check. Right. You know, on top of a prince who's so paranoid, he doesn't even want the position he has, and he wants to know everybody's going to do down below, but he knows this much, break the masquerade, die. Yeah, it's a it's a no bullshit, it's a no bullshit city. And I, and I think that it's important too that we look at this because the next book that comes out is Mexico City. We can look at at New York by night as a a crown, as a jewel in the crown of the Camarilla, right? This is a grand achievement for them. When you read the history, when you read the outline, was of, uh, right. Well, oh, well, if you when you read the outline of of what the Camarilla did, the amount of influence that they used, how diligent and well planned they had to be to take this city, you'll see this is what happens when the Camarilla says we're going to go on the offensive, right? Planned out, expertly. The losses were had. That's war. So the Camarilla. They, it's important for them to hold this, right? It is a huge, New York City is a financial hub, right? It is a hub of culture. It's a, why wouldn't the Camarillo want this? On the other side, you have Mexico City, right? What does that mean? And we've talked about it a little bit in a podcast we're not uh, on right now, but 
my point being, this is like one side of the coin and that's the other, right? right. Here we are as a Camarilla. We're going to struggle to hold on to this. We're going to do the best that we can, but we have to remember what our point is. Maintain the masquerade, maintain the traditions. It's what makes us different than the Sabbat. And they had to do that through their entire attack plan. That's, you know, I mean, what else can you say about that? That's just, that's just New York. So I have a, I have a, uh, a challenge for you, Bob. The challenge is, and anybody else listening can do the same thing. I really want you to find me a book written by Justin Achille that I don't like. Because I, not... I feel like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just, I mean, I think the guy did a lot of really good work for this game. Uh, me too, and I hope he doesn't become a pedophile in the future. Yeah, don't do something crazy and like make us. I, I hate to put the onus on. I said it. I like the guy a lot too. Mm-hmm. And normally, I'm not saying that we have a. Yeah, I mean, I don't know him personally, right? It's, I don't either, but I have met but him. I, I like what he what he writes. I have met him, and he unabashedly is a is is a is a cool person to talk to. He's down to earth. Um, don't know his personal thoughts on me, but from we talked to, he was he was a good dude, and uh, that that's that. But I can tell right. you. From his writing, I get with his writing. I agree a lot with what he has uh, done for the product, and uh, what hopefully he continues to to do in his his life. You know, that's yeah. you meet you meet creative people, you reward creative yeah, people. I, it's I just think this is like too. this is like three of three that he's written specifically, not just like developed, but written specifically. Um, where I was like, man, uh, I I can get down on that shit. So uh, thank you, Justin Achille, for writing good material for this game. And, uh, um, hopefully people use that as an example. And, you know, like I said, it's a little challenge. Maybe he, maybe some high school work. I'll be like, this is trite, you know, this is garbage. <laughs> Fucking try harder, bro. You know, something like that. But anyways, um, anything else about New York? Any final words about New York by night? Uh, final words about New York by night. Um, I gotta tell you that, uh, it's multicultural aspects or something. You gotta hit home. Uh, they're everywhere. You're not going to find, uh, standard vanilla american a in new york city um there's there are there's always something i mean you'll you'll see them but they're they're different like i can't i can't express enough only people who live in new york and in new jersey know what i'm referring to when you if you want to meet anyone from any part of the world you just go visit the city and you literally can't you're gonna (laughs) run into them i'm always reminded of that fucking quote from uh what was it ghostbusters 2 when the mayor says to the ghostbusters it's every New Yorker's God-given right to be miserable. Uh, it's, uh, it's, to me, to me, like there, we all know through pop culture so much about New York that it's like you don't have to be there to kind of understand the themes. And because it's so big, I feel like there's no wrong way. I feel like that's the one thing that I want people to take away from this is that this is a great book because there's no wrong way to utilize it in your game. You know, you as a storyteller. You have so many different options for telling stories. That's it. So anyways, great book. I definitely suggest get out and get it next week. Mexico City by night. You know, it's a no-brainer. This giant Sabat City. Uh, I think it'll be a great podcast. I think it'll Uh, be a fantastic ear opener for a lot of people. Yeah. So anyways, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We would love to hear from you. Check us out on our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com. Until next week, I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. Bob. 
Hey folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you'd like to help support our podcast, there's a few ways you can go about doing so. First, you can get some cool rewards by supporting us at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Check out our website at utilitymuffinlabs.com. We now have a shop where you can get your very own Utility Muffin Lab sticker or pick up a cool shirt from our Tee Public shop. That's tpublic.com slash utilitymuffinlabs. If you want to send us comments or you are a content creator who'd like to be on one of our podcasts, send us an email to nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Finally, you can send me actual physical letters to P.O. Box 30332, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46230. We will be at Gen Con this August as well, so keep listening for more details as they become available. Thank you for supporting Utility Muffin Labs. We are consistently rated adequate. Thank you.